It was 14 years ago that we experienced the attack, terrorist attack on the Twin Towers. And following that attack, there was a memorial service held for the 3,000 people who were murdered on that day. You may remember that Billy Graham was one of the speakers. And in the message that he brought that day, he said, if I had a dollar for every time I have been asked this question, why does God allow pain and suffering, he said, I would be a rich man. And I've thought about that. This is one of our most persistent and difficult questions, especially when we're hurting. Before the service, I was talking with one of our new members, Betty, and I know her son quite well. He's a friend of mine, and he has suffered since the time he was literally a baby with uh, one kind of a, a physical problem after another. And so we asked this question, why does God allow pain and suffering? Uh, I became a senior pastor 28 years ago. And I was uh, just about 29 years old. And I remember after several years of being a new pastor, one of the most dominant impressions that I had as somebody who was now working on a regular basis with people is how much people suffer. I had no real understanding of that until God called me into the ministry. Now today what I want to do is I want us to go to a passage of scripture that deals with the issue of suffering perhaps as clearly as any other. It is Romans chapter 8 and particularly I want us to look at verses 18 through 25. And in this passage what the Lord tells us is that suffering has a very special place in the life of a Christian. And because it has a very special place, we can affirm together what God says to us about the suffering, the trials, the difficulties, the pain that we endure. Let me ask it about with me for just a moment in prayer and let's ask the Lord to lead us into his word. Father, Thank you today that your word is a comprehensive book. It deals with all of the great issues of life. We know that one of the most difficult questions we have is this issue of pain and suffering. And Lord, some seem to have it more than others. Some of us can say with David, the, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yet others can say, man is born to trouble even as the sparks fly upward, and I have had my share of that trouble. And today we're thankful that as believers we have a different perspective. We have a perspective that eternity brings to us. We're grateful for Romans 8, perhaps one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. Today help us to understand not only why you permit it, but the place that you want it to accomplish in our lives. We'll be so thankful to you. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Let's notice, first of all, as we look at this passage, that the first lesson we learn about suffering 
is that God tells us it is very light. I want you to notice with me verse 18 of Romans 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, when I begin a message like this, and I say that the Bible teaches us that suffering is very light, a statement like that really shocks us. I'm sure you would not expect a statement like that to begin this message. Because suffering is devastating, and it is often overwhelming. It can be life-threatening. Many years ago, Ellen and I ministered to um, a woman who was having uh, open-heart surgery. And it was such a delicate surgery that they had to have it in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan Hospital there. Uh, We went down to be with her. The surgery went fine. The first week of recovery went fine. And then after one week, she had three strokes, one after another. Left her paralyzed, unable to speak. She lingered in Ann Arbor for a month, finally was sent back home to a hospital nearby us where she died. The last thing she said to me as her pastor, as I went to her after those three strokes with halting voice, she said, why? Why? And she was devastated, as anyone would be. So this verse is not saying to us at all that suffering is not hard to take, for it is. But what it's telling us is suffering is light compared to something else. And verse 18 says that something else is glory. It is light in comparison with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Now, this is the perspective of faith. You see, uh, non-believers, they see suffering only in the light of the present. They live for this life alone and what they can get out of it. So they live for enjoyment, for possessions, for wealth, status, family, friends, and achievement. And then when tragedy strikes, all that they have lived for is gone. Uh, This week I came across this statement by Woody Allen, one of uh, uh, the most uh, well-known of Hollywood producers. And this is what he said. Life is full of misery, loneliness, and suffering, and it's all over much too soon. And I thought, how that is the perspective of the unbeliever. They can only view suffering pessimistically, as harsh and as life-crushing. But believers, we see suffering in light of the future. This is only a small part of the picture. We are living for eternity, and all that God promises, we know this world is destined to pass away, and so we can see suffering optimistically. It is simply a tiny part of a very huge picture. In fact, keep your finger here in Romans 8 and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want you to notice how Paul says the same thing, but he says them in different words in verse 17. 
And notice how he makes the very same point that he made in Romans 8. Look what he says. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's almost exactly what he says here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. In fact, it's interesting when Paul here in verse 18 uses this expression, the suffering is not worthy of comparing to the glory that is coming. That expression, not worthy of comparing, is a measuring term. It referred to an object heavy enough to promote motion in a balanced scale. You know what we would say? We would say it is heavy enough to tip the balance. Let me put an object on the screen here this morning that at first will surprise you. When you look at this, immediately you understand this is an optical illusion. You know that this rock far outweighs the feather, and the rock is heavy enough, in the words of the Apostle Paul, to create motion that would tip the balance. Now, I want you to think about how we often live as Christians. We often live this way because we cannot see the weight of future glory. As we go through the sufferings and the trials and the pain and the hardship of our life, oftentimes we think the suffering is equal to or greater than the glory that is to come, but, says the Bible, it is an optical illusion. So weighty and so transcendent is the glory that is to come that the Bible says the suffering going to one day look like a feather in comparison. Back in 1941, right at the very middle of the Second World War, C.S. Lewis preached a sermon. The title of the sermon was called The Weight of Glory. That sermon led to a book that he later wrote. And in that sermon, he described what it is that we have coming in eternity. And he said, as a Christian, when eternity comes, we will experience five things. We will be with Christ. We will be like Him. We will have glory. The Bible says that we will share in the luminosity that comes from the very presence of God. We will be feasted so that the kingdom of God is described by Jesus as a banquet. And every believer will have some official position in the universe. And when we begin to see what the Bible says is this weight of glory that is coming, it is so transcendently wonderful that God says to us, it outweighs all the suffering we go through in this life. How amazing and wonderful that is. 
lives. Now the Apostle Paul tells us there's a, another lesson that is designed by God to encourage us. Secondly, we learn this passage that suffering will not last. Suffering will not last. And I want you to follow with me as I read verses 19 to 21. And, and notice now what the Lord says to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now what Paul is doing here is he is using creation or nature to illustrate the point that he has been making. And he is telling us that creation is going to participate in the glory of God's children. In the future, things are going to look drastically different in this world than they are now. And the natural world is looking forward to that day with tremendous and eager anticipation. In fact, in verse 19, the cluster of terms that Paul uses in the original language are very, very expressive. Verse 19 literally says this, the creation, eagerly expecting, awaits eagerly. That's the, the literal translation. The creation, eagerly expecting, awaits eagerly. And the imagery of the terms there is the idea of craning the neck or stretching forward the head and standing up on tiptoes so that you can see a wonderful sight. It reminds me as a little boy being at a, a circus or being at a parade and not being able to see around the others and so craning my neck or standing on tiptoe so I could see the floats that were coming by. Uh, J.B. Phillips translates verse 19 this way, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. Creation longs for the day when suffering will be over. Now the reason is found in verse 20 because the Bible says in verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. You know that Paul is talking here about God cursing this world because of man's sin. Let's keep our finger here and turn back to Genesis chapter 3 for just a moment because Paul is giving to us a divine commentary on what happened right after the fall in Genesis 3, 17 to 19. And listen to what occurred. And to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Now our text in Romans 8 verse 20 defines this as being subjected to futility. Futility suggests frustration. You know what the Bible is saying here? Earth is frustrated. That's what God is saying to us. Frustration is the inability to obtain one's goals. And so the curse banned nature from the fullness of fertility and harmony. God's plan was that the earth would be fruitful and that it would multiply. But instead, creation is now afflicted with the bondage to decay because of man's sin. He describes that here in verse 21 as the bondage of corruption. So what God is saying is that nature has been enslaved to decay, to deterioration, and to death. And it's so obvious to us that we see it all around us. Uh, this spring we, we found a dead rabbit underneath uh, the window in our backyard. I just buried that rabbit uh, Friday morning. What was odd was it was a, a, a good-sized rabbit. It appeared to be very healthy, and yet it was not strong enough to survive the winter. Uh, it's the second time over the years that we have been here that we have found a rabbit like that. The last time we found one was a couple of years ago, and uh, it was uh, a little bunny that had been growing. Um, it looked perfectly normal. In fact, it was still alive. We tried to get it to a vet, but while we had it in the box on the front porch before we could get it to the vet, it died. And severe winters are evidence of the curse killing the animal world. It's one illustration of exactly what Paul is talking about. Now, do you know, so frustrated is nature that it actually laments its condition? Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Look at what he's saying. Earth is like a woman in labor pain. And we understand exactly what he's talking about. Floods, hurricanes, droughts, tornadoes, blights, avalanches, earthquakes. They are the birth pangs of nature. It desperately wants to be delivered. 
And what God says to us is one day it will be delivered. Look again at verse 20. He says about creation, it was subjected to this frustration, this futility, this curse, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And notice the hope is declared in verse 21. The creation will be set free from this bondage to corruption and it will attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You know from your own Bible reading, following the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the creation will be renewed. When that kingdom comes, the groaning creation will become a glorious creation and the curse will be removed. The Bible teaches us that death and decay will be gone, natural disaster will cease, nature will once again be free to produce, free from pestilence, free from deterioration, free from decay, and free from death. And here's what the Bible is saying about us. Every believer will return with Christ in that second coming and we will see this liberation of the creation. We will live in that liberation and every one of us will experience it. What we see now will not last. Now, in light of that, this has a profound effect on us. In light of the fact that from the perspective of faith, we can actually say, my sufferings, they're hard now, but they're like a feather compared to the weight of glory. And what I see and experience now will not last. In light of that, This changes us in a great way. Third lesson that Paul has for us is this lesson. Suffering creates a longing. It creates a longing. In verses 23 to 25, what the Apostle Paul does is he moves from the illustration to the application to believers. By the way, please follow this, uh, how effective Paul is. Verse 18, he gives us a principle. Verses 19 down to 21, he illustrates it in nature. And then verses 23 through 25, he applies it to our personal lives. Look what he says in this application. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation... But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we've grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Creation is groaning. We're groaning too. But notice our groaning 
has two very positive reasons. Number one, Paul says we groan to be free from present pain. It says that in verse 23. We're, we're groaning inwardly also. You know, I'm told that uh, labor pains are one of the worst pains that you can imagine. I'm told the closest men ever come to the birth pangs of a woman is when a man has kidney stones. That's about as close as you can get to the pain of labor. Uh, One of my former secretaries had pancreatitis twice. She almost died with pancreatitis twice. She said to me, "Um, it's the most pain that I've ever had, even exceeding my labor pains. That is a lot, a lot. And what the Bible is saying to us is groaning is the reaction we have to that pain. Our groaning is the pain of living in a fallen world. Over the years of my ministry, I've had funerals for three children. I had funerals for two infants, and then I had a funeral for a six-year-old who was accidentally killed by her own father. You don't forget those kind of funerals. This is what that little girl's uncle said to me. He said his sister's wailing over her child was the worst sound he had ever heard. He said to me the day of the funeral, as, as the little girl uh, laid out in her casket, uh, she had been accidentally shot at point-blank range by her father, and uh, her, her face and everything was jaundiced. In fact, she was behind a little bit, a little bit of a net uh, because it was a very difficult thing to see. And this is what her uncle said about his sister's wailing. He said, I hope I never hear that kind of wailing ever again. You see, what this groaning tells us is we are living in a sin-cursed world. It's a world of selfishness, of violence, of inhumanity, of falsehood and death. And one of the reasons God allows us to suffer is so that we will not be comfortable in this world, but we will long to be free and enter into the world that is yet coming. God allows us to suffer for that reason. Notice the second thing this longing causes. Secondly, it causes a longing to experience our future promise. Did you notice how verse 24 draws the parallel between creation and us? Look at it again. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? As nature was cursed in hope, so believers are saved in hope. As nature is up on its tiptoes waiting, so we as believers are up on our tiptoes and we are waiting 
Notice in verse 19, the creation waits with eager longing. Now notice verse 23, we wait eagerly. And then notice verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The same word used for nature, waiting for the day that is to come, is used for our waiting. Sometimes I will ask uh, Christians this question. Did you get all your salvation when you were saved? And the natural response is to say, well, of course. Of course I got all my salvation on the day that I was saved. But I want you to think again. Verse 23 says, we only have the first fruits of the Spirit. You know what first fruits are, those of you that are planting gardens. They're just the beginning. They're the down payment. They indicate there's more to come. Now, notice what's more to come. Verse 23 we are still awaiting the redemption of our bodies. So redemption includes the liberating of our soul. It also includes the liberating of our body. So what God is saying to us is we won't be completely saved until we have our new bodies. And we long for that. We long for that. A couple of Sundays ago, somebody said to me, Pastor, I'm getting very weary of this old world. And I said to them, I said, there are times I feel that way too. I said, the Bible says that is the natural result of living in a fallen world. But because of the hope that is laid before us, that someday the past is going to be behind us and the best is yet to come, we have an encouragement to live for the Lord now. That longing is what sustains us to keep serving God with joy. Many of you know that uh, our brother Matthew Songer is on his way back from Houston with his dear wife, Laura. And it has been wonderful to see what God has been teaching Matthew through his cancer. I've said to Matthew many times, uh, thank you for bringing me in to what the Lord has been doing in your life and allowing me to share with you what he's teaching you and how that has been an encouragement to me. Some of you have been reading the emails that Matthew has been sending. Let me read for you one of the most recent. Listen to the things that he wrote that he's learning. First, he said, I grieve for folks that don't have family and friends to support them. I can't imagine going through this treatment alone. And then listen to these words. This is Matthew, this is Matthew Songer speaking. A, a man who has uh, done very, very well in life. Listen to what he says. 
your support is worth more to me than money, power, prestige, or any kind of success. Second, he writes, It is relatively easy to have faith and trust in God when facing disease, death, or any great trials. There aren't any real other alternatives. This is a good thing. One can transfer their trust to an all-powerful God versus our own strength. And then listen to this third lesson. Third, my faith has suffered most when things were going really well. It is the hardest to have overcoming faith when I was being blessed by God. None of us knows what is going to happen tomorrow. God wants us. God wants me, he writes, to trust him and serve him when things are going really You see what God is doing? Suffering is purifying Matthew. It's creating greater desires, better desires within him. He can say the simple support of people up in Marquette praying for me is worth more to me than money, power, prestige, or any kind of success. God has taught me that it was when I was doing really well that my faith was actually doing fairly poorly. But now that I have suffered, God has taught me to trust and serve Him at all times. Can I say to you this morning, that is why God permits suffering. That is why God that we would come to that very place and then His glory can show forth from our lives. Let's bow together for just a moment in prayer, shall we? Father, we are a hurting people. We are a people with pain and suffering, trials and difficulty. And Lord, you have determined in your sovereignty and in your plan that we would not be exempt from those things. But what you have told us is there is a grand and glorious day that none of us could possibly imagine now. Lord, I have stood at the side of caskets and had people say to me, if we knew what this believer was experiencing, we would get in the casket with them and we would want to go. Lord, you have granted to us that great expectation 
that we might understand all that we experience now is temporary and it is doing a work within us to purify our hearts, to purify our longings, to cause us to want better things, eternal things, spiritual things. That the light of Christ might shine in a new way through us. And so, Lord, today, I pray for my brothers and sisters as I pray for myself. As a pastor, I know many of the heartaches in this very congregation. And I pray, O oh God, that today would be a day of renewed hope, a desire to continue waiting, a desire to continue keeping on, keeping on, and the purification of the longings of our heart which are so often earth-bound. Lord, you have called us to seek those things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. You allow us to suffer that we might have that longing more and more. Encourage us. We love you. We're so thankful that eye has not seen, neither has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And Lord, today, we just express to you, we love you, Lord. We love you. We follow and serve you. For Jesus' sake.